0: In this podcast, Neerit Kohan from Work Futures talks about the future of work. So, stay tuned. So, welcome everyone to Work 2.0 podcast. Today, we have with us a very special guest, and uh, we have with us Neerit Kohan and a brief bio. She is the president at Work Futures. HR strategist, thought leader, blogger, speaker um, on the topic of future of work, over 25 years at Intel Corp in Israel, EMEA and Global Responsibilities in Human Resource, Merger Acquisitions, HR Infotech, uh, systems, and Finance. Um, beautiful and vibrant background, so welcome to the podcast and thank you for, for agreeing to speak with our community.
1: And thank you for having me.
0: Beautiful. So I think one thing that um, that I found fascinating. Rarely we we get guests who have spent a good amount of uh, their life in working at a transnational company that that's in itself like a big giant ship, right? And you have done with that Intel. So why don't you walk us through your journey, like what, how you got started into HR and what brought you to Intel and and until yesterday or today?
1: Wow, that's uh. That's a a journey through memory lane. Um, So I joined Intel right after um, graduating with my uh, master's in, in finance and business. And I started as a finance analyst. Um, the organization was very small. We're talking 1991. Um, and that's, you know, if you think about it, this is like before Windows, computers were like green on black, right? No mouse. It was a different world when we we communicated via fax machines and you had to go to this one room in the building that had a fax machine. So yeah, different world. Um so after a a few years my my finance manager uh moved to become the hr manager for israel and uh called me over to hr to to actually run a a, an economic project if you will um so it was a probably a temporary and you know how temporary evolves right so that's how i ended up in hr and i spent almost 25 years in human resources um from compensation and benefits um through mergers and acquisitions, I spent three years, wonderful three years at the corporate headquarters in Palo Alto, California in Santa Clara in California, lived in Palo Alto Um, was a great uh, opportunity to do global, global roles. And then I spent quite a few years, uh, almost a decade as the vice president of Intel HR for Israel. Um, And then um, few years as, um, as, uh, starting up an HR strategy office for a greater Europe region and then mergers and acquisitions globally. So I spent over a decade, um, actually working a lot of the large mergers and acquisitions for Intel globally. So. Very long, fascinating career. I was very fortunate. Intel is a wonderful company and I was uh, really able to do multiple careers in there um, for, for almost 30 years.
0: Wow, that's that's fascinating. And, and how do you spend your time nowadays?
1: So I retired from Intel last year, um, but the interesting story is about uh, a, a 10 years ago, um, We started looking into the future and asking ourselves, um, how do we need to prepare um, the organization for uh, 2020, which is tomorrow, but back in 2009 was a decade away. Um, And so I worked with... um, um our our strategy organization to actually take um methodologies we use to forecast um and future cast and then backcast for the purposes of business to actually look at the organization and ask what would it feel like to be a, an employee in 2020 20, and then what well, what do you need to do in 2018 and 2016 and then in 2010 to get there and so i started that project um on the side if you will in 2009 and uh, generated quite a few use cases for where the world will be in 2020, um, which is interesting to see when you look at them today, right? You know, some happened five years ago, some didn't happen yet, some probably never will. Um, and as i was doing that i got hooked so the mm-hmm. idea of really understanding on how to kind of where the world was evolving understanding there are really big tectonic changes this wasn't just you know a, a nicer iphone if you will um and that we had to do something very different um and so i started blogging about it um, Started a blog about seven years ago. You know, my first, my son was my first, um, like on the blog. I have 80,000 readers today. Um, I have a regular, um, uh, paper column in the Israel, um, globes. It's, it's like the Financial Times of Israel. Um, I'm almost finishing my book. Uh, and, uh, and I really, um, passionate about this topic and so in when i left intel uh, this is what i do i started my own company work futures and i uh work at all the levels right so so the future of work affects us as people and our careers it affects organizations and management and then it obviously affects um the larger systems the you know education and and uh, as well as um uh, the different social systems we have in place um so i have um a lot of fun working with a lot of levels of a lot of implications of this um and this is what i do today interesting and i think um we had
0: prior conversations about this topic of future work and i think what i find really fascinating uh about uh about your background and about your uh, your sort of um uh, uh, your abilities to help others understand where this industry is heading to like from and and right now now you were part of an intel and now you're being outside helping businesses out how has your perspective changed when it comes to the enterprise understanding of future of work or whether or their preparedness towards it or how they are they're equipped to handle the challenges of this new reality of of work like what is what is your observation
1: i think part of what we understand is that the players are changing right so the way enterprises think about this as you think about jobs, and you think about or hierarchies, and you think about projects. Um, and we we still consider success as retention of people, mm. right? Um, so we own, we own the capital, we own the people, we own the projects. When you when you look outside in the broader world, you see a lot of um, what, what we, by the way, called in in the popular press um, jobless recovery, right? So you mm. see a lot of, of economic activity that is happening outside the standard of an employer and employee relationship, right? So you see networks evolving. So work being done through people coming together to do the work. And there's a lot to be learned internally for how work gets managed, from how mm. work gets managed externally and in the ec- ecosystem that isn't corporations, right? Because we we still try to reorg every time there's, mm. you know, a big change, which is really um, having the org structure chase the reality, as opposed to ask, you know, how do we enable people to come together in different formats and think about what is the role of management? management and what is the role of hierarchy and um, how do you separate between managing work and managing people. Hmm. So there's a lot to be learned from how work gets done when it's not encumbered by the history of corporations.
0: Interesting. And I think one thing that that we found fascinating with our conversation with, with HR leaders, um, and, and they're primarily um, from two broad containers. So one is very legacy companies representing them, having them slew through this evolution of technology and, and new economic realities. The others are from this new age of enterprise organizational structure, very cool hip and just um, very agile and a and, and, and lot more um, uh, rapid in responding to any situation. So now you have been from an intel world and very ginormous organization very uh, uh, what what we say uh, organizationally mature have a culture in place they have seen thicks and th- things throughout uh, many disruptive times so now if you if you look at um, this the, the outside world and now look back uh, in your previous days and many companies are like intel like what would what would you what is your take on on what bigger companies or companies with with stronger cultural background and legacy should do to prepare themselves with with uh, with this new new sort of emerging reality of work? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website, firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast.
1: I think um, it starts with understanding who is the talent at your disposal to actually go do the work, right? Mm-hmm. So if we look at the trends from um, owning um, you know, a drill to, to drill a hole in the wall, And instead say, I need a hole in the wall. How can I get it? Right? Um, This concept of what is the access to talent? So huge corporations have a lot of talent internally that even within the company, it doesn't necessarily shift at the right time to the right place. Um, We we are bound by, you know, who reports to who, how do you release people, the knowledge, the ability of of, um, the right talent to move to the right project at the right time is a big boundary uh, within organizations today. I think there's a lot of potential to be had from creating um, flexibility systems, which is kind of maybe an odd combination of words, but enabling people to shift themselves. So what we try to do historically in organizations is manage things from the top. But if it's a network, it can't be managed. It needs to be enabled. And so figuring out how to enable people to shift themselves to where the passion is, to where the, the, the work is that they're good at, that they can contribute. And it's very scary, right? Because you mm. lose a level of control. But on the other hand, there's a lot of untapped talent in organizations today that isn't doing what it could be doing and that isn't maximizing the potential. We see the engagement numbers are very low mm. uh, because people aren't necessarily doing what they're most passionate about. Um, so so I think that's one of the bigger um, aspects of, of really shifting the ability we manage the work and we enable the networks to form within organizations. I think the other one that's very, very big in in implications is everyone talks about um, bringing in technology and automation, right? But really and truly understanding how that changes the work that it changes mm-hmm. roles it changes who does what and who should be doing what right so we almost, as an afterthought sometimes you know circle back to the people in the organizational structure and then we wonder why the automation didn't create an impact um i like to think about you know whiteboarding so what would it mm-hmm. look like if we started from scratch how would you build it and then um, How do you get there from where you are today? Um, as opposed to just taking small, small leaps. Well, when we did the, um, the Intel 2020 project back in 2010, right, it was clear that we, we didn't ask what should we be doing in 2012. Mm. We asked what should we be doing in 2020. And once we figured that out, we asked how do we get there, right? Um, so I think the other, that's the other part. Um, everybody knows culture is very strong right Mm -hmm. but um culture is being very strong is also working against the changes today Mm -hmm. and so if i bring this back to the previous comment. If you think about accessing talent in a different way, if you actually bring in talent from the outside that isn't necessarily your regular full-time, mm. you don't necessarily integrate them the way you would a regular full-time, you start getting different voices. You start getting people to ask, you know, or suggest other ways to do things. Um and you, you know, you yeah, you'd have to bring in a bit of chaos and feel uncomfortable. Um but there's there's no other way you can't manage your way through this
0: interesting i think i, I found uh fascinating to uh, like how did you how could you plan 10 years like ahead? like how can you plan what's the world is going to be in 2020 when you're twenty two thousand nine? 2009 how do you sketch that if you can walk us through that uh, that that's that psyche or that psychological um work that one needs to do so to figure out okay this is what i'm planning for like how do you do that
1: so so probably planning is the wrong word Mm. um and by the way notice that i when we when we put that challenge out there we said what would it feel like to work in 2020 because it starts moving us in a different direction Um, we looked at a lot of trends Mm. a lot of trends many of them um you'd think have nothing to do with it right i mean i remember us looking at trends in the urban space you know Mm. trends in communications trends in areas that you wouldn't necessarily think are connected um we took a large group of people about 300 people and we walked them through a process we basically brought a lot of trends a lot of speakers um and then we asked them um to create a world that you know they think would be there out in 2020. And people did. So for example, um, some someone actually sketched out a concept that basically was everywhere will be the new location. Mm. And back in 2010, this is like before we work, right? This mm. is it was unheard of. The idea that Intel and Microsoft and Google will sit in the same space. And and I remember managers saying, nah, that'll never happen right and it did and it didn't wait till 2020 either um there were a lot of things that people sketched out that you think that i look at them today and i say wow it still needs to happen and i can't wait but i can see it getting there right so so really thinking about what would what would all these trends coming together what would they enable us if we really stepped outside the box and these are methodologies we use right so when i work with companies today and i work a lot with them. the startup market in Israel or with multinationals coming into Israel, looking at, at startups. Um, you see a lot of these, um, HR techs ed techs, right? A lot of these technologies that corporations can't handle because, you know, they have a lot of systems and it's, it's, you can't just try everything that's out there, but Mm. probably should be looking at, you know, they're, they're, um, very interesting thoughts about what learning means right even what prerequisite skills and capabilities and um, experience means how do you define relevant experience Um, how do you define a role and who you think would fit that role right we're used to thinking about job titles and resumes but there are people there with relevant experience it was just called something else and they're shifting their abilities and their skills to they could be doing um a, a different twist on what you're looking for and that could be the right thing for you so i think the skills that we used and the methodologies we used back then they actually started me on my blog right so my blog mm-hmm. really what it does is it curates content so it takes future um in big trends and, and things that are out there um, you know, even attending CES in January, and you, see, you look at this and you say, okay, wow, this is kind of run this into the future. What would work look like when you have um, VR and AR, right? How could we come together and and collaborate without needing to be in the same uh, space, maybe not even in the same time, you know, maybe not speaking the same language? What would happen to work then?
0: We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. That's that's a, that's a fascinating point. And I think I, I remember that um, I was at a conference last month and um, addressing a panel. And and basically uh, there was a conversation. Someone asked me about hey. How do you see the future? Like, what, 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 how can you understand the future? And I told them that, okay, this time it's sort of different because over the last 30, 40 years, technology is playing incremental role in defining what business and how to do business. And in that, in that journey, we are dependent more and more on technology. And now, in nowadays, technology itself is going through its own disruptions. Right. So whether you call AI, whether you call uh, battery technologies, whether you call like uh, cloud and storage and on prime security, everything is going through disruption. That means the entire business that's dependent on this technology, it's it's going through its own disruption. Right. And and that means the even the business models are getting redefined of what would it means to be a a, a healthy business? like it's is it capital like what does really capitalism mean nowadays like it's not it, it now it is a human element in that as well yes now yes. if you are if you are running an organization uh as as an hr leader to decipher your sort of um your your company outlook into this new reality like what would you how do you console them how do you what would be your message to other hr leaders in companies with a very legacy business model and i think it, it was funny like i was ta- i was talking to um tim uh, tim from tim o'reilly and uh, from o'reilly media and we were talking about um how there are like two standards going on in the market nowadays so if you if you if you say company like intel or ge or ibm if they miss out on their target they they will be hammered uh, for, for missing out the their targets but if you if you say Netflix or Amazon, no one cares if they make money or not. Like they just they have a price, a very high price earning ratio. It just goes bizarre. Like how do you how do you console a legacy enterprise? That how difficult is that transform their HR transformation into this new reality of organization or of existence?
1: You know, it, it, probably a million dollar question. Uh, probably more, right? Um, and and if if there were an easy answer, then it wouldn't be one. Um, It depends on the situation. But I think the main elements aren't that there's a simple answer, but that you cannot ignore the organization, or the human resource aspects of this transformation, which I think Mm -hmm. is, is what many companies are missing, right. So um, let me give you an example from the training world, right. So we we used to think about training in terms of roi right are we going to conduct this the suite of training or are we going to you know offer it in fact about a decade ago many companies um cut down on spending in the training space because the roi was not apparent and we spent many years trying to figure out how do you measure training roi so if you look at this new world where um, the value of your human capital is is actually reducing really fast because mm-hmm. each one of us came in, you know, with um, a basic skill set, you know, whatever profession we learned, um, and a lot of that knowledge is is being uh, is becoming irrelevant at an increasing speed. And so we need to stay relevant. We need to stay relevant as individuals. We need to stay relevant as professions. We need to stay relevant as teams. Training is not a highly um, recognized function, right? So you don't get recognition for for attending a class. In fact, you just need to make up the time to, you know, um, do your work. Um, and so suddenly training is about reskilling and upskilling. So um, at best to stay relevant and probably more likely a company looking at its strategic path going forward will probably discover that a large proportion of their talent is going to become obsolete within the next you know decade for sure maybe even five years and then you say okay you know the old system was let's fire them and hire new people Mm -hmm. that doesn't work anymore the numbers Mm -hmm. are too big you can't fire and there's there's no people out there to hire right and so you need to start looking at your human capital and saying okay i can't afford to have it to have that value deteriorate i need to make sure people stay and frankly stay relevant isn't enough i need to make sure that they first of all unlearn and let go of whatever's Mm. you know not interesting anymore um that so that they need to know what that is i need to tell them they're in jobs that are probably going to be obsolete or or change very significantly in the next you know five to ten years and i need to show them the path to staying relevant and then upskilling and reskilling themselves which again goes back to you, you can't manage this you need to tell people what the options are show them how to make sure you know wh- where to learn and then let them let them take ownership of doing that understanding that if they're not ready they will lose their job but they need to know and we don't tell people these days so we don't tell people the implication of this strategy is that these jobs and these businesses will disappear. Mm -hmm. The implication of this strategy is we need a lot of people in this space. Here's how to learn, you know, maybe even take a budget. So we saw Amazon announced um, recently, right, that they're allowing um, training and retraining. And frankly, they said, we realize that uh, we'll probably miss about 30%. So people will be training for things we end up not needing and they'll leave. And that's okay because we kept them in the system. And I think they're also counting on more companies doing the same. And so there will be others that will come in that, you know, um, got trained by other companies. Um, AT&T has been doing it for a number of years now, which is a really interesting experiment on a very large scale. So I think that's one of the examples of where companies are starting to to understand that what we did doesn't work and we need to start thinking differently.
0: Interesting. I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. And another uh, perspective, uh, another point I want your perspective on is, so when we talk to many of the HR uh, leaders who are in um, a legacy so-called legacy business uh, template and when you talk when you talk to them about um, the employee and employer relationship and all that fun stuff and and i think recently i was talking to someone and it the conversation went in a very interesting way so they, they suggested that we shall you know there's a there's an increase uh, agility around using our data in hr but hr has always been about uh people and people are not really easily quantifiable. Like there's a lot of, lot of uh, so the qualitative information about a, about an employee, our, our inability to, to justify the quality of their work push us to use their their quantifiable traits of that, that worker, how much time they're spending. And that is pushing a lot of data-driven technologies which are very premature and which are actually pushing towards quantifiable outcomes uh, and not a quality fiber uh, outcomes that is messing up a lot of HR uh, employee employer relationship like our understanding we are pushing employees in a very quantified way that you are just number in many ways and not able to empower them so their quality of work would improve and, and you you have come from um, the world where the HR evolved the HR evolved from that that hr that i can go and talk to versus now a form that i have to fill and then someone in 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 this in this green earth would come and say okay i want to talk to you about your problem now so what what's your perspective what's your take on on this 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 sort of that that understanding that there's an incre- there's an incremental need to use data and that could be pushing hr in a in, in a different direction than where it should have been we'll resume after a short break This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast.
1: Yeah, you know, first of all, I think you're touching on a really important point, right? So um, if you think about the person the the working person the way we think of data is starts with the way we think of a a a resume right so it's it's where you went to school what you learned and what jobs you held and what positions you held and then within the company you know you might have a little bit more information on again uh, positions and job titles and some level of hierarchy that you know you can be associated with Um, that is no longer the true story of mm-hmm. of a professional person you know It it is it, linkedin is no longer who you are um it doesn't show um the potential the skills you've accumulated the experience you've had um, the places that didn't fall don't, no longer fall neatly under positions and job titles right mm-hmm. and so the, the the risk of talking about hr using data these days is that we try to um control that uncomfortable feeling of needing to uh, allow people to, to form in networks and and get to the the jobs and and separate maybe between hierarchies and, and of management and work um so we we don't like that so we say okay we'll, we'll we'll make that happen but we'll manage it from the top and so you know tell us more about yourself um that might work if you, you know, you run a big project and everybody updates some database on something, but it then, you know, five minutes later, it's no longer accurate. Um, And so I think one thing we'll see probably evolving in the next um, few years is a new way to portray um, probably even externally, right? I mean, I, I think LinkedIn will will evolve, and it might not be LinkedIn, but the idea of LinkedIn, right, Uh, where um, we will need to see a different way of a person showing who they are professionally. Um, That could be, you know, uh, baskets of experience and and connections and networks and types of work. Um, And then we would need to find different ways of finding each other coming together for work. And we will figure this out. Um, and I'm pretty sure the, the more work gets digitized, and in some worlds, it already is digitized, right? You um, have the ability to create the systems that will pick up on what your real experience is. Uh, but in other work, in other areas, it's, it's more tricky, right? It's more difficult. So soft skills. So you don't mm. want people to just say, you know, I'm great. I can do all this stuff. You you want proof. You want to show. And that's why we ask for hard data. Um, but the problem is hard data no longer portrays who we are. So I don't think in the next few years it's about using data because I don't think we have the mm. data we need. I think in the next few years, it's about understanding what's important and then how do we shift our processes and systems to to account for what's important. So if you if you want a team of people to come together to do a certain job um, and all you do is you say, you know, this is prerequisite experience or job titles or something like that. That's what you'll get. But if you describe what you're trying to make, um, you know, to accomplish, open it wide enough that somebody may be in a completely different space can come back and tell you, you know what, I really have the, the relevant experience, let me show you. One wonderful example, by the way, I look at the new industries, so look at uh, technologies for autonomous vehicles, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody has graduated yet from a from a university with a title of engineer of autonomous vehicles, um, and yet there are a lot of people working in this field, and they come from a lot of different fields, right? What they did was they ported their experience and their relevant skills and their uh, potential, and they showed how it will become relevant within this new field, and now we hired them, and suddenly they have a job title that they couldn't technically. You couldn't publish and say, "I'm looking for this job title," right? Because they didn't exist in the market. Um, we should be probably looking more at people. Um, what what is it that we can learn about what they can be doing versus the the standard data we collect? Until we figure it out, I'm sure we will figure it out. Um, mm. How do you know more about who you really are, what what you can, you know, what your skills and capabilities are? But until we do, we actually need to figure out different ways to bring the right kind of experience and people together without getting hung up on the kinds of data we used to use that are no longer telling the real story
0: interesting that's an extremely valid point so now um when you interact with and you're pretty active in in israel ecosystem uh, helping the, the tech, tech sector there and helping the hr tech sector there so when you see um these startups emerging like what are some of the things that that you see the main focus when it when we we say future of work what exactly is future of work like where do you see major focus and investment and and intellectual investment happening like what are some of the broad containers where you are seeing that there's a lot of activity uh in future of work and where do you see on the other side less activity where you you wanted to see more activity, or you could have you would see would like to see more activity if you can walk us through
1: um, i think the we clearly see a lot of activity in the hiring space so trying to figure out and we see a lot of startups trying to figure out how to get that match right the right people to the right place at the right time in all sorts of ways, whether it's sharing between people, whether it's, you know, different types of skill sets, um, whether it's um just different ways to access talent, right? So we see a lot of startups in that space. We also see I think we see a lot of startups in the learning space, starting with ed tech, but also into learning and corporate learning. And by the way, learning is is greatly redefined, right? It's no longer a class with an instructor and some food on a table. It's it could be um um, content that includes um, that includes um, mentoring and micro mentoring, and you know, ability to access content that you need at the right time, or access someone who knows, right? Which is, by the way, another class. I think we're seeing another class of of startups in the space of the networking. So the understanding, and there are lots of studies today that shows that it's not so much what you know, but who you know that knows, right? So mm-hmm. how do you how do you mat, matter, um, manage to get to the right people um, when you need them, whether it's because you have a question, you need mentoring, or you need information, or you're trying to bring them together to do work with you? So kind of these are some big buckets. Um, it's interesting, and I think the place where if there's work, uh, probably not, not enough work, is, is really how to redefine who, who a professional profile is and what it looks like and how does it come together. So it's that replacing CV. A resume right it's thinking about that um like i said it's very hard we use resumes to quickly filter hard data um I, you touched on that point you know um, it's very accurately it's the hard data is shifting and i don't think we have a grasp on how do you how do you really filter and match these days um, i think these are the la- the large buckets compensation and benefits um I don't know if that gets a lot of attention. Mm. One of the interesting things that need to happen, I think, here isn't so much in the HR tech. I think it's more in the policy space, right? We mm. have created over the last decades, you know, maybe in 200 years or so, we've created systems to protect salaried employees, mm. um, and there's a there's a big difference if you um, shift from being a salaried employee to being a freelancer or, or you know other forms of employment. Um, and as you move forward and you look at this flexible market you really should be protecting the worker for working as opposed to an employee for being one so so it needs to be um same same how you work so mm. you know if, if i want to contract with you it doesn't matter if in what form and that's something that the bigger systems haven't figured out yet um and we're seeing some work in the space because it's becoming a problem becoming because labor laws are are hindering some of the Mm -hmm. flexibility and we're also seeing you know the other side of it which is employees suffering from that over flexibility so some of that needs to happen but that's in the bigger policy
0: interesting i think um i'm I'm glad you are picking up the point on labor laws i'll get get to the government part as well but i think one one thing i want your perspective on um you assist a lot of large enterprises as well in their in their hr uh, conversations so when you talk about um hr uh, putting off fires internal fires versus hr focusing on future of work like how, how much are you seeing what percentage of hr is now actually focusing on the future or basically active rather than reactive like how much how much hr are you seeing where um, businesses are actually proactively talking about future of work vis-a-vis of, hey, it's just, it just says five folks on the corner talking about future of work, while uh, 5,000 of them putting off fires. Like, what are you seeing, at least from the large enterprise perspective, that how is the market shifting, or what's your take on that?
1: So it might be a surprising answer. I, I don't think companies should be talking about the future of work. I think what they should be talking about is um, how the strategies that are evolving, you know, they're, they're, the standard things they do in terms of the markets that are changing, the customers, the expectations, where all that meets everything that HR is about, right? Where it mm. meets the organization, where it meets the talent, where it meets compensation, where it meets flexibility, where it meets structures and decision-making processes and motivational mm. aspects. So. The future of work is about opening up or, well, you know, frankly, it's no longer the future, but what we're seeing, right, is um, more granularity in terms of what is possible. So mm-hmm. if, if if it was, you know, there were less options in terms of you could hire or you could, you know, bring in consultants or, you know, temporary workers with some limitations. Now you can have a lot of different types, even crowdsource, you know, some of your problems. Um, if you if we used to work in structures so my manager um was also the manager of my work that's no longer true most of us work in Mm. teams where we have multiple kinds of teams and probably none of them are managed by our manager or at least most of them aren't right and so the, the the changing nature of work is about the breaking of the systems that used to be the norm right so i think the HR role in this period is to understand that the tool set that a management has to drive strategy, you know, the real operational work strategy is bigger than just okay, well, you know, we'll reorg and we'll, you know, create some bonus plan. So if you think and this, frankly, isn't that new, right? You think of Ford, right? When Ford wanted to create a car for everyone, created the assembly line. Mm. So he realized he couldn't just do it by asking people to work quicker. Right? So, we kind of are doing that right now. We're taking people and we're asking them to take on more. Um, instead of asking, you know, how do we dismantle some of this and say, okay, can we do this in a different way? Um, how can we use different systems, different processes, different people, different, you know, almost everything can be different. You just need to test it. Now, big corporations can't test it by going live with something. It's too risky, right? But you could always test it in small places. So, so this, this very delicate balance, right, between um, what you need to deliver to the markets, it, there's, there's always th- those other things on the side that are, that are not in the core, or they're starting to, to look like they're, they're going to be different. Um, you know, think of banks going digital, right, or mm. credit cards going, you know, away or, or disappearing, you know, for um, for other methods of payment. There are people whose job was all about the banking system the way mm-hmm. it was. So what are you going to do about, you know, the processes and, and the way things are in the branches and even the space, right? When you're going digital, how do you think differently about that? HR, a good HR team needs to get ahead of this. They need to be asking the questions even before before management gets around to it because when management works strategy HR should be saying okay this this strategy is going to hit the ground what does it do to people to management to organizations to decision making to processes to my hirings you know you need to start thinking about these things and creating a much broader range of possibilities and tools that are than than what we're used to be working with
0: interesting interesting and um, if if uh, an HR leader from a small company is watching this conversation, like what would you suggest to those leaders? Like how would they create an uh, create a company that's is future compliant, that is act that that's progressive in nature, and, and basically it gels into this new norms of work. Because I'm hoping that ev- eventually, as we are settling into this new uh, and lot of interesting ideas of Creating corporations, we might see a lot more innovative solutions coming uh, on the road as well. So the companies would stay agile in in, in, in in adopting to this new template. Like, what would you suggest to these who are building their startup from ground up? What would what are some of the best practices that you could share with those folks?
1: So you know, there's a there's a really big difference between startups and then when you actually become like a small small medium sized company, um, startups are an interesting world to learn from because by definition there's there's no structure. Even job titles are kind of fluid and people just gravitate towards what's what's the right thing to do. They're also interesting to watch in terms of hiring because when you want to mm-hmm. bring talent in, you don't sit there and define, you know, to the F's degree the role and the position and the prerequisites. You kind of say, you know, this is what I'm thinking about. Who do you know that fits this bill? Um, it gets tricky once you grow, and you can't manage this on a scale, you know, larger than 50 or 60 people, you just need right. to start bringing in processes. Suddenly you don't know everyone. Suddenly don't, not everybody knows you. You don't hear everything. And I always tell middle management, you know, the higher up you go, the the more quiet it gets, the more people reviewed the PowerPoint before you saw it. And there's a lot of stuff that you should know about that's not that never made it to the slides, right? So... Mm-hmm. So you need to start developing different ways of actually hitting the ground and listening to what's going on. There are um, very cool um, crowd crowdsourcing conversation tools these days, right? So instead of a, a survey that you know comes out once a year and think about how the world is, people will say everywhere what they think. Mm-hmm. Then they come into the organization, and nobody asks them. Mm-hmm. But if you only if you only talk or ask they'll tell you. So something about how we listen, Um, the waterfall of communication is no longer a waterfall. In fact, you should probably, you know, turn it upside down. Um, Mm. Proportionally, you should be listening more than talking, um, the higher up you are. Um, So I think it's something about making space for these things because these these things don't happen. When we get up, we have you know a calendar of meetings, we spend our day in conference rooms, closed doors, you go back home, start another day. Um building those into your system, right? Building it, it so that you have these conversations and and there are ways to create those at a mass scale if you need there are tools out there today that allow you to do that. Um and then of course there's the culture, right? Everything we say and Um, do speaks, and then everything we don't say and don't do also speaks. And so are you creating a culture where people are not just allowed to fail, they're, you know, applauded for shutting something down or, or having tried? Or are you creating a culture where you just deliver? And, you know, are you creating a culture where learning and and growth are important? Or are you creating a culture where it's a waste of time? It's, It's a lot of little things like that, Um, and 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 it's part of it's. It's interesting because we we started our career in, or at least I did, in a world where that was simpler, right? You you studied a body of knowledge. Uh, you you have a body of knowledge that defines who you are professionally and you have like 80% of the answers right so we're mm. used to asking for the answers so we were taught the answers and then tested on the answers right so we're looking for the answers there are no simple answers um and we need to start getting really good at exploring different options understanding very quickly which ones are not working and allowing to you know build as we go some of those that seem to be
0: Interesting, and um let's now let's spend a few minutes on the government policy and policy designing stuff. so I was talk, I was talking to one of the government officials for uh, one of the recently large uh, country, and he brought up a very interesting point that I, as a data scientist, never thought about. so he said, Vishal, you know what? Uh, government runs on tax dollars, right? You pay by taxes and government run, and people pay taxes." And because of our focus on automation, not many people are paying taxes, right? Because AI 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 doesn't pay tax, people do. And if AI disrupt work, then government will also lose money on so on technologies, right? So their perspective was it's in government's interest. Now they are realizing, at least few of them that I'm we, even we are chatting with, that um, government has a role to play when it comes to keeping their their citizens gainfully employed to the point where they fund the government and government run and it just goes back and forth. And then you also talked about um, uh, sort of interesting dynamics of work and work ethic and uh, part-time versus full-time versus labor laws and all that fun stuff. So from your perspective, how is the role, like what would you want government to do? Like how do you want governments to engage and help this help with this new
1: reality so first of all it's not enough to keep people employed because we could Mm. be going about that in a very wrong way like um you know keeping people in jobs that they're no longer needed in and creating you know causing companies to fail because they're carrying overhead Mm. we need Mm. to keep people employed and productive in fact, mm. we need to be more productive. So technology should be making us more productive, um, mm. but it should be making everyone more productive. So mm. there, there's a lot of conversation on this. And, you know, the one side of this argument says, you know, technology will come in. It's always come in. It's, create, it's killed some jobs, created new jobs. You know, it'd be okay. And then the other side of this conversation says this is different, right? Technology is coming in. It's killing more jobs than we're, we can seem to be creating. And mm. uh, we will end up, unemployed then that's a big problem so i don't you know i don't know where we will land but one thing's for sure we will create we're creating or technology is is cutting certain skill sets making them obsolete making Mm. certain tasks obsolete making certain professions obsolete and it's adding others at the top and frankly, it probably always did. I mean, if you think, hmm. you know, many years ago, only mathematicians knew algebra. Today, we teach, teach it in elementary schools, right? So so skills flow down and become more common. is something we've always done. So today, you know, coding and data scientists is maybe high-end and we used to not be able to read and write, right? Only certain people did, now everyone does. And so, so maybe in a few years, everyone needs to know coding and need to be able to deal with data. Um, so one thing that that we will need to figure out the next few years from, from kind of broader society and government functions is, um, is education and lifelong learning. So we, can, we can't teach people answers and test them on answers and then expect them to come into the workplace where they're waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. That no longer works. So we need to figure out the right skill sets um, and then help people learn to learn. And then we can no longer package these degrees in you know three to four-year segments that now you're kind of 10 years in and you need to update your skills. What do you need to do? Go back to school and study another four-year degree? That doesn't work. So we need mm-hmm. to create... Different systems that allow people to uh, upskill themselves, which means that they might need to, for some periods of time, you know, um, maybe cut back on some work hours and they need to free um, uh, pay or you know, savings or some other system so that they can afford to go study and better themselves. So, they, we need to be able to, to keep doing that for more years, and then our social systems, right? I mean, pension. Um, it, you know, if you live in countries where pension was there is. So you can't. we can't create pension plans where people retire at 60 something. This, this is not possible. You can't save 30 years, and fund 30 years of non-work, right? So mm. you need to think about longer years. And if you think about longer years, people when they're 60, they don't want to work like they worked when mm. they were 20, right? So you need to think about other ways to, to allow people to be productive and then earn an income that isn't necessarily your standard full-time employment. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of work in this space. It needs to to look at how all this redefines the implications on what a person needs to do throughout their career, in terms of training, in terms of, of degrees of employment, in terms of types of employment, and and then allow the systems to build around that, so that we can do all that. Right now, we're kind of on our own um, because. No one's no one's creating the systems to do that. Interesting. And so, yeah. and so we see people abusing them, which which is a
0: problem. Yeah, I think valid point. And thank you for sharing your perspective on that. So uh, we almost on the on the tail end of the conversation. So, um, work futures, right? So your your independent practice. So where do you spend your most of the time? Like what in in this in this work future um, concept? Where are you spending most of your time? like where do you see there's a lot of demand uh, on and you're seeing a lot of opportunities?
1: so I think uh, what's what's most of, I spend most of my time with with companies and policymakers and um the interesting story is I've spent many years studying the way that um Career paths are changing, uh, but the interesting piece is it's it's not just relevant for the person, right? So, for example, mm. if our career path was fairly standard, once we 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 got a profession, you know, you you went to work for some employer in an industry, and you looked up and you saw your manager and their manager and their boss, and that was kind of your career path. Mm. Um, and yes, we you know we adapted, but it was it was kind of a a, a ladder, if you will. Um, and so our systems in the organization met that ladder. So we, we, we defined um, climbing the ladder. We defined um, mm. um, development in, with respect to that. We also defined what growth meant and, and we defined retention as metrics, right? Um, and we also had a lot of time to spend training people and growing them and then, you know, um, many years where they could give back. That's changing. And so when people started understanding that their work stability was no longer dependent on a company, that it was dependent on their own ability to stay relevant Mm. in the career market, they started asking for things like develop me show me that this by the end of this year i'm going to have more skills and more relevant experience than i did walking into this year and so they started looking for managers who didn't just tell them what to do but also coached and mentored them and they started wanting to move quicker and and you know and and gain more experience and make some moves that we looked at that and we said that's odd why would you want to do that well because because it's no longer a ladder you know they're climbing different paths and they're they're um forming the way as they go and so Mm. most of my time is spent working with managers and organizations and then as well as policymakers to understand the implications of this change to how we manage to the systems we create to how to motivate and engage people um and then also to what else do we need to to build around them so that um everyone's success if frankly what you want is is to kind of have all the ships go up as the water level rises as opposed to you know some of those things
0: interesting interesting um so now let's spend a few minutes on your journey like spend a few minutes on so we ask all of our guests to share uh, maybe three things that has real or three qualities that has really helped them be what they like has helped them become what they have become like what are those three qualities what are what are those three qualities you attribute your success to
1: you know it's interesting because the first one probably is not going to be a quality but i had fabulous managers i was very fortunate to have managers who were really um they really saw me for better and worse right so they helped me shape they, they pushed me out of my comfort zone, they put a, a mirror up to my face when I needed it, they, you know, they pushed me when I needed it and they hugged me when I needed that, right. So, so they basically um, allowed me to travel and make uh, career moves that were not standard and try out things that were not considered the normal path. And so I think where i ended up was having a very varied career journey that allows me to look at uh, for example an organization today from all those different you know perspectives so I've, i could i can speak as an employee and as a senior manager but i could also speak as finances as hr um m mm-hmm. a is um a wonderful uh, venture into uh, what disruption looks like, right? Because acquired mm-hmm. companies go through very big disruption. And I um, managed multiple uh, of these acquisitions at very large scales. I also was very fortunate to um, trot the globe. So I probably, mm-hmm. I've worked in every single region in the world. Um, I've lived in most of them um, and I speak multiple languages. And so I, I, um, I've learned and I learned some of those the really hard way, right? So you kind of learn to translate and also when you're unable to translate, right? Whether mm. it's corporate culture or language um, or uh, country culture, right? So, um, so it's, it's given me um, a very broad perspective on, on how to read between the lines and how to create a picture with a lot of missing pieces in there, which I think is helping me today.
0: Interesting, interesting. And thank you for sharing that uh, to our listeners and viewers. So <clears throat> uh, we ask all of our guests to share um, some of their favorite reads, some of the books that they really appreciate and they can, um that's what would your list be? Like what would your, some of one or two or three favorite books that you could share with our listeners and viewers?
1: So um I read a lot, uh but before I give you a little bit of the uh, of the reads um here's w- what I do because sometimes I write in my blog and i I write about a lot of books, and people ask me how do you read so much so so there's a little secret there, so um today, every book that comes out starts with um uh speaking engagements right um hmm. so um so as i'm on on the cross trainer or the treadmill in the gym, um I watch a lot of ted talks and and, and talks, right uh, by people who publish books and then others, and so mm. I when I find myself wanting to um, highlight as they're speaking right, then I go ahead and I buy the book. Uh, so I do a lot of my reading through figuring out what I want to read by listening to these different ideas as they as they emerge. Um, one of my favorite ones in the last um um, I think a few months and I, and I, it's a bit late because it's not that new, but was, uh, thank you for being late by Thomas Friedman. Right. Because I think, Mm -hmm. um, one of the, the, um, examples, uh, one of the issues I see is a lot of people are trying to slow down what's happening, right. They're trying to say, they're trying to fight against it. It's just like, you know, we Mm -hmm. really loved it the way it was, you know, here's, here's everything everybody else should be doing so that it doesn't change. Um, and I think when you read uh, that book, you you, key, you really start to understand everything that's happening, and it's a good mirror up in your face to say, "Okay, this isn't going away, and it's not going anywhere." So um, that was another one that was um, that was very good. I um, I follow Conscious Capitalism co- closely, which mm. is uh, mm. which is uh, also generated uh, a lot of good reads um, in terms of of, of you know um, uh, servant leadership and
0: um awesome awesome so <clears throat> last but not the least so if you want um uh, something for our listeners as we listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation like what would that be what would be your your closing remark for our listeners and viewers
1: you can't ignore what's going on you, you know it, it and. I think what I try to do is take what makes me uncomfortable and then actually dive head in, right? So instead of, instead of lean back and, and think about, I really don't want to be doing this, you say no, you actually lean into this and, and, you know, get through the uncomfortable. When you come out on either side, you're able to help everyone that's, you know, that's still um, getting their feet wet so i think it's really realizing that you cannot ignore this it will not go Mm -hmm. away and someone out there is doing something that will hit whatever you are doing whether it's your business or your job someone out there is creating something that will change that and just completely topple it on its head and so the question is are you going to actively be out there looking for that and then riding that wave or are you going to be you know kicking and screaming and tagging along so um that would be, you know, if if there's one thing you remember is actually lean into the disruption. is the only way out.
0: <laughs> I think that's that's fabulous um, uh, thought. And thank you so much, Nirit, for it's. I think it's. I, I've told you like number of times talking to you is always like a therapy. Uh, it's, it's it's very uh, getting getting to see what's going on. And thank you so much for for being uh, candid with your time. So being very generous with your time helping us understand what's going on in the future of Workspace. You're always welcome back on the podcast and wish you success for your book. And I hope to see you back uh, to discuss your book and then basically uh, discuss, share with our community what what it's all about so they can go and grab their hands on the book. And uh, thank you again and wish you nothing but success. Um, Needless to say, if you're in Boston, you have a home. So let me know and we should catch up.
1: Thank you, Michelle. It's always a pleasure talking to you. It's, it's, we've had um, a, a fabulous uh, uh, virtual journey together. So, yeah, I'll <laughs> definitely be back. Thank awesome. you for having me again.
0: Thank you. Uh,
1: uh.